As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletics Tuesday National College Sports Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. We go through everything that's happening in the world of college sports in an hour or less. And I am thrilled to be joined by my friend slash enemy and colleague, Chris Vitola from ESPN and SiriusXM. Um, Chris, you are one of the Biggest basketball guys I know, um, sometimes one of the smartest that I know, and so I thought there was no one better to bring on to break down the end of the season. So welcome. Thank you. I think there's a word, Nicole, to describe the way you described our relationship, and I believe it's frenemy. So I'd like to keep it That's back. probably true, although I do think that frenemy suggests a level of seriousness that I'm not sure exists all the time <laughs> in the enemy portion of our friendships um but um but yes um i i think there's this is going to be pretty fun um just for for our listeners um we, we are not very serious all the time and not always uh not always not sarcastic so um so chris i wanted to start with just kind of the the final itself it was not the instant classic that we all had hoped it was going to be um, with, with the matchup that we waited four months for in Gonzaga and Baylor because Baylor just basically steamrolled them. I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty thorough domination from the very beginning. One team was more active defensively. Their length was bothering them. They were more physical. They just, they, they just were relentless, and they made just shot after shot after shot. Um, what was your immediate reaction to the way that the game got played out with with the the number two team in the country for basically all the year, just totally crushing number one? You know, there are sometimes Nicole, and this is in any sport. Uh, you know, I call them Darwin games. You know, Charles Darwin had the the obviously evolution had the theory that big turtle eats little turtle, and and that's what I thought that game. Immediately, that's what jumped out to me is there is no way that Gonzaga is going to be able to match up physically, athletically, muscularly, 
uh, I thought Baylor was playing harder. So outside of all the basketball, I mean, when you line up two teams where one of them is just so superior physically, it was going to be tough, you know, and, it, and I don't think, I mean, I wonder if you think differently, you know, uh, some of the early analysis was, well, Gonzaga's flat, Gonzaga's tired, the game against UCLA, maybe, maybe a little bit, but that's not exactly what I saw. I, I saw just a superior team physically. I got a text from my dad and I thought he, he pretty much nailed it. Don't let, don't tell him. I hope he's not listening to this. Um, he said the same thing. He basically said, you know, everyone keeps saying like, you know, they're emotionally spent or there was some, you know, kind of hangover from, from the UCLA game. But also doesn't it look like Baylor would beat this team eight out of 10 times, <laughs> you know? And, and I think that's, I think that's exactly it. Yeah. It wasn't the, the perfect circumstances for, Gonzaga, but this was this was the better team. This was the more physical team. This was the team that was playing almost a different game. Um, you know, my friend, our friend Michael Jr. had a great tweet about it where it was like, Gonzaga, we have a high scoring offense, and then Baylor's like, we train with the football team. Like you, you could see that like there was just a different build and a different way that they played. And you you called a lot of Big 12 basketball over the last few years. I mean, you must have seen that element of just like the style of play was different or they had a different ceiling than a Gonzaga did. I called four Baylor games this year. One of them was after their COVID pause. And the mm-hmm. one thing that you you can't like you can watch Baylor on tape, Nicole, as I'm obviously Gonzaga did. And you can even watch them in person, but more so on tape. You can see them and you can see that their speed, their physicality, how good they are defensively. But you can't simulate that until you're actually facing it. And, and that's I thought that knocked Gonzaga back. Like Now, maybe if these two teams had gotten that game in earlier in the year, maybe Gonzaga, Gonzaga would have had a better sense. But the thing that you, you recognize with Baylor and, and the thing that I recognized post-pause, it wasn't the defense that hadn't come back. It was the offense. And whenever Baylor was able to put their offense together, which they did in these two final four games, I mean, they were all year, Nicole, one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. They hadn't been that in the tournament. But in the final four, they made 21 threes. Jared Butler finally got going. He had eight of those 21 threes in the two games. So all of a sudden now you had this defensive dynamo that now all of a sudden is combining this offense that I thought was a lot closer to Gonzaga than people were willing to give Baylor credit for. And that's where I think the explosion came from in this final four from Baylor is they were so much better offensively. It's almost like that COVID pause in February where they had a lot of cases. So they had to actually get back to, to what they were from a conditioning standpoint, all of the, those elements. It's almost like that completely reframed the way that the national conversation around Baylor went because we felt like, oh, they didn't look like the same team they were in January, but then everyone kind of forgot what the team that they looked like in January was. Yep. There's no doubt about it because, you know, they, they were rolling. I mean, they were, they were rolling teams, uh, especially early in the Big 12 schedule. And, you know, I did a game against Kansas State this year. Baylor beat them by over 50, Nicole. I mean, it doesn't happen in, at the Division I level 
beating a team in your conference, especially a conference like the Big 12, by 50, outside of it being a miserable broadcast, I mean, how do you call a game that's a 50-point game? That was actually the moment. There were two moments this year. It was that one when you're like, and I know Kansas State wasn't good, but you're like, my God, this team can do whatever they want. And I've said it to you, like Baylor is a team that calls their own shot. They're not shooting well to drive you. If they're not turning you over, they're going to turn up the, the, the volume and the heat defensively. The other game, and this was post-COVID, and I didn't do this game, but they went on the road to West Virginia. I don't know if you remember this. They went on the road to West Virginia, and it was a really tight game down the stretch. And there are not a lot of teams. Forget post-COVID. I think it was their second, maybe in their second or third game after they came back from COVID. There aren't many games in a vacuum who would win that game at West Virginia let alone after a COVID pause, and Baylor won that game. And that was, you know, they still had some ways to go, and obviously they lost a couple games after that. But that was the first game I'm like, you know what? This team is going to be for real as they start to get their legs back. Yeah, and and again, without that pause, it's quite possible that you have two undefeated teams reaching the national championship game, which I think totally reframes the way that we talk about this Baylor team because we've been talking about where would Gonzaga rank in history if they pull this off and win this thing. And we didn't really have that conversation about Baylor because they weren't going to be perfect heading into this championship game. And it, it was one of those things. I remember we, we've we talked about this with other runs in the past. I remember it with when UConn went on its run to win a national championship with Kevin Ollie. It was, wow, every other team is just having like a really off day. Like every single time that they would play somebody – and, and then by the end, we were like, oh, no, it was actually just the guards. It was, you know, it was Shabazz Napier. And, you know, it was like, oh, we finally figured it out at the end. And it, it kind of reminded me of, okay, so Villanova just shoots the lights out. And you're like, oh, wow, this is so embarrassing for Oklahoma. Oh, mm, okay, never mind. They just, they do this to everyone. And Texas Tech and their defense are like, wow, like, oh, Villanova was terrible against, oh, no, no, they're just doing this to everyone. And it's, it's, it's like we didn't get there until the end with Baylor as well, because we were, there was this whole narrative about Houston falling flat in the final four and all these other things, instead of just, you know, this was a team that figured it, you know, got that offense back, got that final piece back. And I I think it's really cool. I know you posted um, a really cute little video of, of Scott drew and, and just kind of like mugging you and and being giddy about who knows what something. And, you wrote that, you know, kind of the joy starts at the top. And that's something that's always struck me about him, too, is like he's not even glass half full. The glass could be like a quarter full and he'll say it's great. And I, I'm, I'm curious your reflections on just sort of what it means for him to win his first national championship after what he inherited 18 years ago at Baylor. Yeah, it's... um. It's pretty remarkable, and it's not even just what he inherited. It's, it's the steps along the way. Um, you know, when, when I was at Duke, we played them in the Elite Eight to go to the Final Four, Nicole. We played Baylor, and it was, a, it was an unbelievable team. It was – we shouldn't have beaten them, given how athletic they were. And, and, you know, they played this zone at that time. This was like one of those iterations. They played this zone that was – really, and they had a kid named Epe Udo and a kid named Tweety Carter – uh, Lace Darius Dunn. I mean, it was a loaded team, and, and somehow we ended up beating them. But I remember walking out of that game saying, this guy can coach his ass off. And, you know, he had a reputation for a long time. You know, some thought he was 
he was he was cheating. You know, there there was that there were those rumors. I think sometimes his his infectious joy and and just his happiness it comes off as phony sometimes, which we know now it's not. I mean, you go back to 2015 and 2016. Remember, they lost to Georgia State in the first round. Then they lost to Yale the following year. The the doubters started to creep in. Then you go back just a few years ago, they lose Tristan Clark, who was having as good a year as anybody was at that point in the season. They lose him. And Scott Drew goes back to the drawing board. And he says, look, we're not big enough to play this zone. What are we going to do? They, they end up reinventing themselves. They develop this man-to-man defense around those guards that we saw last night and Mark Vital and Freddie Gillespie last year. This year, it's Chama Chachu. He's had to go out and... and Go with the transfer market, you know, and you got four guys last night in, in Adam Flagler from Presbyterian, Macy Oteague from UNC Asheville, Chama Chachua from UNLV, and Davion Mitchell from Auburn. And look, those guys weren't necessarily home runs. They weren't givens to be as good as they got. But Scott Drew went out, they identified people. It's a very faith-based program. I'm not a religious guy, but it absolutely unifies that team. So their, their player identification, their player development, and then who Scott Drew is, is infectious. And it's built, it has culminated in what we saw last night. But it's not even just where he started. It's all of the different reinventions and iterations along the way that I don't think have been talked about enough. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. No, and, and also just 18 years at one place. Yeah. I mean, e- even when yeah. it's, you know, after a scandal and they're going to have to give you a lot of time and patience, we don't see that. That's why I thought it was so cool that it was, you know, him and Mark Few and it was these, these people who really built these programs up in totally different ways, but they stayed, you know, they, they saw it through. They, they got these programs to the precipice of a national championship and not everyone has that time. Not everyone gets the community behind them enough to, to have those different iterations. And especially, as you said, I mean, the reputation outside of Waco is, you know, other coaches didn't like him and would say, oh, you know, how to get that good player and, you know, how to get that guy to commit to him. And, he's, and then other people would say he's just a recruiter and he can't coach. He can't win the big games. And so you had all of this happening and you had the exact right person for the build in the center of it who doesn't let that stuff get to him. Well, I mean, as much as it would you or I, like, you know, it does ultimately like it's still a human, but I was, I was even struck by, I was talking to him last month for my Sirius XM podcast coaches clubhouse about the last 12 months. And there was no, oh man, you know, I can't believe that team, I didn't get a chance to see if they could win a national championship. It was all, you know, so fortunate. So many of those guys were able to come back and wanted to come back to try to win one this year. Yeah. And I was just like, how do, you, how do you even think that way? When you don't have, it's not every year you have a roster 
and a team playing that well that you know could could really cut down the nets and then you lose it. Like he was even talking about how what mattered it was it was going to be the first time that Baylor men's basketball ever got a one seed in the tournament and that was like really incredible milestone for the program and all of these things. He was more upset about that than not having a chance to cut down the nets because he was like, you know, our guys came back, they love each other, they they they're so focused. It was just it was remarkable to be in a conversation with someone who really thinks that way about silver linings and about reframing stuff. And you sort of see now how when you take over a program in, you know, coming out of one of the darkest chapters in college sports history, college basketball history, um, that you needed someone like that who was just relentlessly positive and always going to see the good in situations because there wasn't many when he first started. And like you said, I mean, there were going to be doubters and naysayers and all those things throughout. Um, and, and then you see like the way that his players of different eras talk about him, react to him, are part of these things. And there's just such a disconnect. It's just fascinating how, you know, certain like, you know, so-called reputations versus the actual person, the way that something is built, the way that someone runs a program you know, he's had assistants that have been there for a really long time and then go on and pull off upsets of their own in March Madness this year. I mean, just a remarkable tenure. And I think you're absolutely right that we don't talk about everything that happened during those 18 years enough. And we're also kind of also at a point where I don't know that there were probably millions and millions of people watching that game last night who didn't even know the Dave Bliss mm-hmm situation didn't even know who what had happened before Scott Drew got there because we're old now so there's also that element to it too yeah it's huge I mean coaching is a cynical profession and and to to many degrees sports has become a cynical enterprise and those who cover it and I mean just there's a lot of cynicism out there and he's a serial optimist and I think it's look I'm guilty of this I mean when I was in coaching Scott Drew had a reputation, you know, as kind of is he can't be for real. I mean, this can't be for real. And then it wasn't until I started doing Big 12 games. Um, and you, you mentioned the video that I had posted. That was, I think, two years ago. So they were even then like on the come up. And so even just to see that, the more I got to know him, you're like, man, this guy is for real. And it manifests with that team. I mean, you saw it like their sharing of the basketball, the, the joy they have for one another, the, the, a guy scores and you don't really know who scored, but you know, it was Baylor, all these platitudes we use. It was true with that team. And I, and I will say this from a basketball to get a team to play as hard as they do on the defensive end. That's not easy. That is not easy. And and to and like you said, to get coaches to stay, to get Jared Butler to come back. You, you know, like that was a big part of, of who they were going to be this year is, is Butler who check, you know, tried the, the draft process and for him to come back. I mean, just the way it's been done, even through the transfer market has been organic and it all stems from that guy at the top. Well, and even with the transfers, because I know a lot has been made with like what a thousand players in, in the portal right now in men's basketball. Not every coach that takes transfers like finds the right ones, and I think that was what was really impressive about Michigan this year and the transfers that they took and Scott Drew. Like 
it's not always, oh, just there's transfers in the title game, there's transfers in the Sweet 16, whatever you know, people want to say. It's about the right ones, and it's really hard to find the right ones because, you know, especially when you're asking guys to, um, you know, maybe take on a different role or be used differently or kind of just check their ego at the door, whatever it might be, it's not easy. But giving someone a second chance, how are they going to respond to that? How are they going to handle these things? And so that, again, is coaching and something that I don't think we talk about enough just because we're so used to hearing about transfers. There are a lot that don't work out. There are a lot that don't, that, that you know, they're, they're, they're not worth the hype or, you know, there was a reason they left somewhere. And then there are the ones that fit perfectly in the place that they go and they are that missing piece. And so coaching staffs deserve a ton of credit with that as well. Um, so just a, a remarkable run for Baylor, an absolutely well-deserved national championship in the hardest season that we've had in our lifetimes in the COVID year. But the flip side is Gonzaga, and we've already seen the narratives start to take hold, that they were overrated, that Mark Few um, you know, just can't, can't win these games, that Gonzaga will never win a championship because of the conference they play in, because they're not tested for two months. Please, mm. please help me. I feel, like it's, I feel like it's eight years ago. Can you please like, talk some sense into me? Yeah, I mean, look... Their conference is not a power five conference there. And, and to be honest with you, their conference was down this year. St. Mary's was not the same team. San Francisco did not turn out to be what we thought they might be. Uh, it just wasn't BYU had a good year. They were not, a, they shouldn't have been a six seed. So, I mean, that conference was even down this year, but they won every game decisively. I mean, they have not had, they did not play a close game until the WCC championship until the end. But oh, by the way, Nicole, go look at their non-conference over the last, you know, certainly the last five years. This year alone, in a pandemic, uh-huh. they pounded Kansas, they pounded Auburn, they West Virginia played them as well as anybody did this year. They beat up on Iowa, they beat up on they beat Virginia by over twenty. So, you know, they played, and then no, oh, by the way, they they had a nice little run here through the tournament. I mean, they beat a very good Oklahoma team. Uh, they pounded USC uh, and then obviously played a classic against against UCLA. Um, look, I, I think this game was about Baylor. There is the referendum on Gonzaga, I don't think changes outside of the fact that Baylor was the better team perhaps all along. I don't know how you feel. I think we got that wrong. Um, or at least I did. I mean, I, I maintained most of the year that I, I thought Gonzaga was better. But as this tournament unfolded and you saw Baylor start to play, I came off that position on the show you and I did yesterday. I picked Baylor largely because of how they looked against Houston. But this is a heck of a season. I mean, 31 wins, one loss. Your loss came in the national championship game. You were on the cusp of being undefeated. I don't care what league you play in. That ain't easy. And, uh, and this was a great team. They got a, they've got a, a top three pick in Jalen Suggs. Drew Timmy did not have a, a great game last night, but he was one of the best players in the country all season long. Corey Kispert was a first-team All-American. This was a heck of a team, and what they did on the offensive end of the floor, uh, we haven't seen very often. And, like, again, let's, let's recap here. Um, second time in the last four tournaments, they made it to the national championship game. Yeah. 
four of the last six Elite Eights, six straight Sweet Sixteens. It's just hard to say that there's something you can't accomplish from Spokane when you're able to get to these points. It reminds me of the early runs, I would say early, early maybe to, to mid-2010s, when people would say, Mark, if you can't get out of the first weekend, like, right? It was just like, okay, they're, they're good in the regular season. They get a good seed, but they can't get out of the first weekend. Then it was, okay, they can't get to the final four. Now they can get to the championship game. They've just, it, they just haven't won it. And it's really, really hard to win a national championship game. But everyone decides that this is some referendum on literally every other step in the process that they are able to hit, that they are able to get to, except this final step. And it's it's really jarring because I, I don't know if it's people just are are conditioned to to think that way about the little guy, maybe. You know, it's I d I don't know. I mean, for all the people who complain about, you know, college football playoff always being the same top teams and, and not having room for for the little guys, like we should we should love Gonzaga. I, I don't know why everyone waits for these moments to suddenly go, ha, I knew it. I knew they couldn't be as good. I knew they couldn't be an actual powerhouse. I don't understand that part. Look, there, there are two teams left standing in college basketball as that game's being played last night. And you said it. Gonzaga has been one of those last two teams standing in the game in, in you know, going back to when they played North Carolina in that game. They, they've made their way through the, this tournament. They've, you know, again, I, I was, I was, I heard a story the other day when Dan Munson, I think it was Dan Munson when he first took over the program, Nicole, their goal was just to win a game in the WCC tournament. That was their goal. They just wanted to win a game in the WCC tur- CC tournament. When you think over 22 years, Mark Few as the head coach of that, that team, where they've, where they've come, I mean, it's just, it's it's obviously it's remarkable but it's one thing getting there but it's another sustaining that like I don't buy in and I really don't read these preseason for next year polls but like Gonzaga's in the top five again you know like they're getting Jalen Suggs's they're gonna have another top recruit coming in next year you know like it's this is now not just getting to the mountaintop this is now staying there year after year after year at Gonzaga I feel like for the last um, however many years, it would always be, is this Mark Few's best team? And then the next year would come, this might be his best team. Like, they're not going anywhere. And, you know, this particular roster, yeah, there's like three pros in the starting lineup and X, Y, and Z. But you're right. They're going to get the next guy. They've got the – that was another step they had to take, right, to get like the best one-and-done guys willing to go to Gonzaga. Guess what? They do that now. So it's it's just – it's it's – it's wild to me that there's anything left to criticize Mark Few for at this point. They were beat. They got beat by the better team. That no matter what the circumstances were, without a UCLA game in the semifinal, whatever, still probably gets beat. And if these teams play in December and Baylor wins or whatever, it's a different game, then the whole narrative shifts. It's not some major disappointment. It's just like, oh, here's a rematch. Let's see if Gonzaga can play him better, right? Like, it's a totally different framing and expectation. The one thing I will say from a game standpoint is I do not understand why Mark Few did not call a timeout sooner in the beginning of the game. Because 
Gonzaga looked flustered. They were getting, they were turning the ball over a ton and there were passes flying out of bounds. There's a whole lot of stuff going on. I don't think it's ultimately going to change the outcome of the game at all. But when you talk about preparation, coaching, whatever, controllables, yeah. there, was th- there was that one. But again, like, I, I, just, I, I don't know fundamentally what Gonzaga would have been able to do differently, especially when Jalen Suggs gets two quick fouls. Like, there, there, there were just so many things going against them, even just a couple minutes into the game, that the outcome wasn't going to change. But I don't like this referendum on what this means for Gonzaga. It is a unicorn. It is unbelievable that they built a powerhouse in college basketball in Spokane, Washington, and that they can get to the national championship. Let me game. throw this at you, because I think maybe this sparks some of the reaction. You know, we, we are we all want our biases confirmed and we'll fight to the tilt until our biases are confirmed. Everybody has been looking forward to this matchup. Every, I mean, this was the matchup all year long. Gonzaga, Baylor, Gonzaga, Baylor. It's all we heard all season long. We got the matchup, and we all thought, at least I did, we all thought it was going to be a better game. And I think there's, to a degree, some people who feel let down by Gonzaga's performance because that game did not confirm some biases going into that game. Yeah, I, I, I think that's probably part of it. I, I think everyone wants to be right about anything. So if you say, I picked this team or this was the best team in the country all year, you want to be proven right about these things. And again, I just think about how much would have shifted if that game had gotten played in December or if Baylor didn't have that February COVID pause and entered the tournament undefeated. I think it totally shifts the way that we look at this game and all of the narratives around it, I think at that point, if Baylor is undefeated also, they're probably the number one overall seed, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd have to think. So, so everything gets shifted at that point. Um, and I think that that would have changed some of these, these points and, and talking points coming out of this as well. What about this? For the last three days, we've all been talking about Jalen Suggs, buzzer beater, and the block, and the pass, and, and this instant classic against UCLA in the semifinal. Now that Gonzaga lost the national championship, what happens to that game's place in history? It, it takes a hit, I think. I mean, yeah, that's what I the think. The Christian Leitner shot is remembered because it was a great play, and it was really one of the first of its kind, but it's remembered because they won. The Lorenzo Charles, they won. You know, you, you go down the line, you know, you have to, it has to culminate in cutting down the nets. So I don't know where I heard that before, but I, I do believe that. Like, it does change the narrative, I think, on that, on that game. I think it totally does, too, because now it's just kind of a footnote. It wasn't. This, 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 this game that they had to survive to win a national championship. Now it's just yeah. a great semifinal game. And, and it's just, it's a bummer. I mean, I think the Jalen Suggs shot will still be in all those montages of like the great moments of March Madness. But I mean, this was a game that I was like, oh, I want to rewatch like start to finish all the time. And now I'm like, eh, do I? Like, I mean, it was still a great game. It doesn't take anything away from UCLA. But in but your head, you'd be like, it wasn't. Man, but you know what happened two nights later? Ugh. 
Yeah. Well, it's kind of it's kind of like um, every time I watch the movie Miracle because it's a great movie, so I watch it all the time. And they're like, oh, like at the end, people kind of forget that this wasn't the gold medal game, and then they went on and won it. I mean, thank God they went on and won it. Like that was if if you didn't do that, imagine how we would be talking about it, right? So it's you you do need to finish it. You need to you need to finish those things for you know those instant classics to have their place in history. So unfortunately, our our, our colleague over at SiriusXM, John Lund, is taking a victory lap on this because this was his his point all along was we shouldn't have been celebrating the semifinal game so much. Um, so unfortunately, he's correct. Yes, unfortunately. Yes. Um, so Chris, b- before we go, um, and kind of put a bow on the season, um, getting in a season in a pandemic, getting a national championship, uh, finishing it all up and hopefully having fans next year. Um, we always do a segment called last call here. And for our listeners who are new, it's basically something you would actually celebrate at a last call at a bar where we'll be allowed to go to them again soon. Um, 2 a.m. and you're just like, I want to, you know, I'm really giddy. I want to celebrate something. Cheers. Or you're ranting because it's 2 a.m. and you're upset about something. And the more drinks you've had, you, you're more upset. Right. So you can go either direction here. You can praise something. You can rant about something. Um, and so I will let you go first, Chris, um, for, for your very first last call. I, I want to cheers. I want to cheers Davion Mitchell. And I'll tell you why. I did, I did one of Baylor's first games last year. So Mitchell was playing for the first time. And you could tell, Nicole, he was so desperate to be Jared Butler and Macy Oteague. He was a liability. I mean, I have my no- I was looking at my notes yesterday on the game, that game I did. And, and one of the things I read is, to his detriment, he tries to be Jared Butler and Macy Oteague too much. If he just embraced being this defensive stopper, he would just just play your role. Just be, you know, just be your guy, defensive stopper, and stop taking wild ass shots. Well, fast forward to who he became. National Defensive Player of the Year. So that did not change. But he became their best player by the end of this season. All due respect to Jared Butler. Davion Mitchell became their best player by the end of this year. And Davion Mitchell is going to make money playing this game in the NBA. And I'm telling you what, in a year's time, that was not the case last year. So he is what, you know, we, we are so cynical now, and understandably so. You know you know me by now. Like, I, I get cynical about the transfer portal. But there's some times where it works out. And for a guy who did not play at Auburn as a freshman, he was playing behind Jared Harper. He, he felt he was, he was better than that. He ends up finding a great situation at, at Baylor gets connected with an unbelievable set of other guards and just works his ass off, just works his ass off to become the player he ended up being. And I give that dude a lot of credit. He ends up being a national champion and, and, and what a story it is. So I, you know, a lot's going to get talked about. I was going to cheers Scott drew, but my gosh, we gave him his due during this podcast. I want to cheers Davion Mitchell because I, I saw that guy from the very beginning at his time at Baylor um, and he he became one heck of a college basketball player. It's it's hard to imagine anyone who's helped their draft stock more, except maybe Johnny Juzang over the last three yeah. weeks. Yeah, tr- truly truly remarkable. Um, my cheers is my my last call is kind of both. It's kind of a 
a rant and a, a, a celebration. Um, it was it's it's about having one shining moment back in our lives. Um, I didn't I didn't think it was the best iteration of it that we have ever seen. I think that it clearly missed the bands. I mean, I, I felt like that's such an important part of college basketball. We've talked about this throughout the regular season, like what it meant for not having fans, not having some of the magic. Like a lot of places didn't have their mascots, didn't have the bands. Like these are the things that we love so much about college hoops. And I thought it was just really apparent watching One Shining Moment to not have the bands and then not have as many cr- crowd reaction shots. Like you had um, you had the dad in the iPad, you know, which I, I did really appreciate. But it, it just you, you could tell that it just wasn't the same. I, I also think like the music itself was a little too soft, whatever else was happening. But it it was it was amazing to have One Shining Moment back. Like it felt like, OK, we waited two years yeah. for this. But it also just reminded me of all the, the, the major things that we were missing. And there were a lot of shots where you, they'd zoom out or you could see like someone, you know, like kind of taking the ball for, for a layup or a fast break or something. And you saw like the empty seats. And it just, it, it, I mean, again, I'm thrilled that they got a tournament in and that the players had this opportunity to play for a national championship and that there was so much time and energy put into the health and safety protocols. But I am so happy that hopefully next year we don't have to do any of this and that there are fans in the stands and bands and mascots and all of those things because that's the magic of college basketball. And I felt like we were missing it throughout the regular season. We, we didn't miss it as much during some of these insanely great games. But when you're watching One Shining Moment to put a final bow on everything, uh, I, felt like, I felt like that's when I was like, oh man, like this is supposed to be, this is where we normally get like, you know, the pet band and, and, you know, you'd see some sort of crazy, re- I, I don't know. It just, it, it was, it was a bummer. It was a bummer, but I was glad to have it back. The music still, you know, gets the juices flowing somehow, but just wasn't quite the same. So it's like very bittersweet moment. I agree. Cheers to that. hundred percent, hundred percent. And again, hopefully next year we get bands, we get fans, we get everybody back. Um, so still again, cheers to the, uh, Dan Gavitt and CAA putting this event on getting to the finish line, just really remarkable to, to what these players went through to sacrifice, to, to isolate, to, to give them themselves a chance to do this. So, um, with that, we will wrap up the basketball season and now I guess it's spring football season again. And, you know, we love following ACC lacrosse, so it's also lacrosse season, um, so we will, uh, we will start diving into all of those things on power hour, um, in the next couple of weeks, but I hope you enjoyed it becoming a college hoops podcast for the last month or so. Um, and we'll be back to more regularly scheduled programming after this. Thanks to Chris Patola, my friend and enemy from ESPN and Sirius XM for joining me. I'm Nicole Auerbach. Power Hour will be back next Tuesday. And be sure to hang out on the pod and the feed for the rest of the week as Andy Staples, Ari Wasserman get up to their usual antics. Um, I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.